0: At one time or another, you have, uh, may have heard somebody uh, use the term that somebody has a monkey on their back. Usually that's used of somebody that's uh, being compelled to do something, usually compelled in a not very nice way. Uh, in our family, we've got our own version of that. Uh, but it's having the otter on your back instead of the monkey. And the, uh, the otter comes from, it's, it's a, a kind of a, a corruption of the southern-speak ought to. You know, he ought to do something. So uh, in our family, you've got the otter on your back. If you feel like you really ought to do something, but you just really don't want to do it. You know, Dennis, are we going to go to the uh, family reunion this year? I got the otter on my back. feel like I ought to, but I don't really want to do it. Uh, and it's, it's, it, it's funny to think about that. But the sad thing about it is, is that there are a lot of people who have the otter on their back when it comes to attending services of the church, it's not something that they really want to do, but they just feel like they ought to. I don't want to, but, you know, I've, I've got to go. If I don't, you know, the preacher's going to know that I'm not there. The elders are going to know that I'm not there. Other people that sit around me are going to know that I'm not there. and Somebody's liable to call, and then I'm going to have to explain to them why I wasn't there. And and when I talk about that, I'm talking about every service of the church. Uh, This is another one of those things. I was talking during our our class this morning about uh, discussions that I've had with people on occasion where you're trying to correct a a misunderstanding, a a misapprehension. Uh, And sometimes I think it's because uh, we, as preachers, don't always do our job as well as we could. You know, we don't focus on some of these little things uh, like we should. Uh, but I've, I've had the, uh, the discussion with people from time to time about Hebrews 10.25, uh, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Uh, and they, they almost invariably will say, but that's just the worship assembly. And I'll say, no, it's not. And I'll say, yeah, it is. That's what it says. Don't forsake the assembly with a Y. And i say, go back and read it again. It's the assembling with an I-N-G. In other words, what the Hebrew writer is talking about is any time the saints assemble, whenever that may be. And they'll say, well, you know, I, I think that only applies to the worship assembly on Sunday morning. Now, the worship assembly on the first day of the week is mandated by God. And that is something that we have absolutely no right to mess with at all as far as canceling it is concerned. It's been a big deal over the last year or so. Uh, I told somebody uh, a while ago, I said, there are some things that happened in the last year. If somebody had said that these things would happen two years ago, I laughed at him, I said, there is no possible way that's ever gonna happen. And that just goes to show how much I know about anything because they happened anyway. And one of them is is, is, uh, leadership in some congregations telling people not to assemble. I never thought that would be the case. But on the first day of the week, we have an obligation, a God-given obligation to assemble as a congregation of God's people if we can do it at all. Now, there are times when people have legitimate reasons not to be here. Those are legitimate reasons. The problem is, is oftentimes we can convince ourselves that things are legitimate when they are not. I remember a lady several years ago, she was a member of some denominational group, I don't remember what it was, <coughs> but I think she illustrates the point really well. She was kind of proud of herself because she had had kind of gotten ahead of the preacher. Uh, She had not been at services on Sunday and happened to run into the preacher at the store on Monday And so in order uh, to keep him from well, where were you yesterday? She got to him first Yes, I know I was supposed to be there yesterday, but it was going to rain pretty soon and I had to mow my yard And she was so proud of herself that she had got to him first kept him from saying anything and came up with a legitimate excuse Well, that was a legitimate excuse in her mind. you can mow your yard anytime you want to. And even if you felt it was necessary to mow it on Sunday, it doesn't have to be done all day long while the church is meeting. There are legitimate excuses, and then there are legitimate excuses in some people's minds. They talk themselves into believing that it is legitimate. But people... Uh, oftentimes seem to have this, this, well, I'll go because I feel like I have to. And we shouldn't be that way. I mean, we really shouldn't be that way. As Joe read from Psalm 122, David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. We ought to be glad to be here we ought to be glad that we can be here. There are a lot of places in this world where you could only assemble like this at the risk of your life. There are multiplied places where Christians would take their life in their hands to assemble together. We think about persecution like that as something that only existed in the first century. It still exists. Uh, I don't know if, if you get the, uh, uh, the, uh, the newsletter uh, from the Willett congregation about the uh, mission work in India. Uh, it's available online. I would encourage you to get it and read it, because almost every single time you get one of those and you read it, they're going to be talking about persecution that Christians in India are undergoing. Now, India is supposed to be one of the more enlightened countries, but evidently, Hindus do not like Christians. And over the past few years, I, I, I can't even remember how many times they talk about, well, Christians are not allowed to use uh, some of the water tanks in the villages because the Hindus won't let them use those to baptize people. Uh, they were taking up money back a few years ago to, to dig wells so that Christians had access to water. There are places in the world today where governments, government-sponsored persecution goes against Christians. They murder Christians. We don't have that here yet, yet. You know, I, I mentioned that there were some things that had really surprised me over the last year or so. And a couple of years ago, if you had told me that there were governors in some states that because uh, of a virus would order houses of worship in those states not to assemble, I would have said, no, they, they won't do that because they know what would happen to them the next election. They get voted out by some of the biggest landslides in history. And guess what? They did it. And whether they'll be voted out or not, I don't know. I'd hate to bet for it. But we, at least in this state, were very fortunate. Our governor declared that houses of worship were essential businesses. They gave some recommendations as to what they thought we ought to do in public worship, but they didn't tell us what to do or not to do. We had the ability to decide that ourselves. Kentucky wasn't so lucky. California wasn't so lucky. Other states weren't so lucky. In California, you had some groups that were getting together and facing fines of multi thousand dollars every time they opened the building doors. We didn't have that here. Be thankful that we have the opportunity to be here. And nobody's telling us we can't, at least not yet. Not yet. And we ought to be thankful to have the opportunity to meet together with fellow Christians and study God's word. We should be studying on our own. We really should. But anybody that's done a lot of studying knows you can get so far on your own. But you need some interaction with other people if you really want to go beyond that point. Uh, there, There have been times Uh, sometimes I'm not the sharpest pencil in the box and there are some things and and this may happen to you but sometimes you get your mind in in going in one particular direction and you can't get over it you think and you think and you think and you're still not making any progress and then somebody tells you something and it's like oh okay now I get it you got your mind up out of the rut you went in a different direction now you understand it But it took some interaction with somebody else. Somebody gave you a little different perspective, a little different point of view. And that that helps you to understand things. And that is one of the reasons that we meet here as a congregation. Again, we have a, a, a mandate from God to assemble for worship as a congregation on the first day of the week. The eldership here has decided that for the good of the congregation, for its spiritual benefit, that we meet before worship on Sunday morning for a period of Bible study. We come together again on Sunday afternoon for a second period of worship, and we meet mid midweek on Wednesday for study as well. Now, Hebrews chapter 13 says that if that's something that the elders decide to do, that members of the congregation have an obligation to do it. Obey those who have the rule over you. So it is just as mandatory to to meet at those times as it is to meet for the worship assembly on the first day of the week, Sunday morning. They're both required. But we meet so we can get together and we can study God's word. Classes are so beneficial because you have the opportunity to hear somebody else's point of view, to get a little bit of a different perspective, and to ask questions. I didn't understand that. Could you go over that again? To voice disagreement. If you don't agree with something, talk about it. Unfortunately, that seems to be a lost art in our country these days. People don't wanna talk about differences. They feel that if they can out yell the other person, then they've made their point, they've won the argument. It's not the way it's supposed to work. Talk about it. If you don't agree, talk about it. I, I got into a discussion with a guy one time, and it, it, got, it got hot. Uh, we both firmly believed we were in the right. We argued about it back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and I came home, and like I oftentimes do, I continued to argue even though he wasn't there anymore, and Marcia does that a lot. She says that he can't hear you, I argue with books, I argue with television, I'll argue with trees, it doesn't matter. But I was arguing with him, and he wasn't even there, and she said, what's, what's the problem? And I was telling her, well, this is what I said, this is what he said, and she said, well, had you thought about this? Why didn't he say that? If he'd have said that, I'd have said, okay, you're right. you really hate doing that in front of your wife saying you were wrong about something? Well, I was wrong about it, and I had to go back. And it was worth it, though, because when I went back and told him you were right and I was wrong, that was the most shocked look I'd ever seen on anybody's face. You're gonna tell me I'm right? Really? Wow, that's never happened before. I got him back later, though. We got in another argument, and that time I was right. But you need need some input from other people to understand some of these things. Over in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in verse 9, Paul said, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. Why? For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, because we are going to receive what we have done now if you're going to be judged according to a standard it behooves you to know what the standard is i mean would it be fair for somebody to say i am going to judge you for all eternity you know whether whether your fate is good whether it is bad whether you are going to go into paradise or whether you're going to be tormented for eternity is based on this and i'm not going to tell you what it is you have to guess that wouldn't be right and god doesn't do that to us he tells us exactly what the standard of judgment is over in revelation chapter 20 in verse 11 john said then i saw a great white throne And him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and books, books, plural, were opened. And another book, singular, was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books, plural. So he says you have books, that are opened plural and a book singular that is opened the book singular is the book of life he tells us that he says that the dead are judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books plural they're judged according to the books the things that were written in the books these books the books of the new testament John chapter 12, verse 48, Jesus said, we'll be judged by the word that he had spoken. And by extension, John chapter 14 and John chapter 16, he said that the the apostles would be led into all truth, that the Holy Spirit would bring to their remembrance everything that he had said. So when Jesus said that we would be judged by his words, he's talking about the words that were communicated by the Holy Spirit to the apostles as well, the inspired writers of the New Testament. So when John says here that we are going to be judged by the things written in the books, essentially what you have is you have the books of the New Testament opened, and our lives are judged according to them. This is what the standard says, is this what you did? This is what the standard says you should have been, were you that? And if the answer is no, book of life, your name's not there. Death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. If our lives do not match up with the standard that God has given us, then our name's not written in the book of life. were cast into the lake of fire. Now, when he talks about being judged, he's not talking about, are we sinlessly perfect? Because that's not going to happen. 1 John chapter 1, if we, John does not exclude himself, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So it's not that we're sinlessly perfect, it's that we will confess our sin to him. I did it. I know I did it. I admit to you that I did it. I'm going to try not to do it again. Help me with that, and please forgive me. He's faithful and just to forgive us because we'll confess the sin to him. So we are judged according to the things that are written in the books. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, it is literally God-breathed. All scripture comes from the mouth of God and is profitable for doctrine, that which is taught, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. It tells us everything we need to know, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. And that's part of the reason that we come together on the first day of the week, And also, midweek on Wednesday evening, study God's word, learn what the standard is so that we can avoid the fate of those that are not written in the book of life. It's one of the reasons that we come together. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, the Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation. What's written in this book decides whether you are saved or whether you are lost. Another one of the reasons that we come together and why we should be glad to come together is we get to associate with the best people on the face of the earth. Really, when you think about it, Christians should be the absolute best people to hang around with. You know, somebody said once upon a time that, that bad people don't like bad people. A thief does not want to live next to a thief. Do they want to live next to a Christian? Absolutely. Christians are supposed to be the best people on the face of the earth. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 17, Paul said, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. When he's talking about Gentiles, there's he, he's using it in the spiritual sense, those that are not children of God. And that's one of those things that, that you run into uh, on occasion where the term Jew or the term Gentile is used in a physical or a racial sense, but oftentimes it's also used in a spiritual sense. We are spiritual Jews. We are spiritual Israel. Here he's using the term Gentile in a spiritual sense. He's talking about worldly people. But he says, don't walk or don't live the way they do. And then he goes on in verse 20. He says, you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct. This is one of those things in in Ephesians, especially, but you'll find this in, in Paul's writings, other places too. He talks about putting off and putting on. It's kind of a word picture. Is, is kind of like he's talking about putting on a coat or taking the coat off. You know, think about it this way when he's talking about putting off these qualities, he's talking about, you know, you've been out, you've been out working on the farm or something, or you've been working on a, a car or a tractor or something like that. You've been wallowing around on the ground, you've been getting grease all over you, you're wearing your old coat, and it's kind of messy. And then you have to go see some, you know, respectable people. So you take it off, you put a better one on. That's kind of what he's talking about. Take off the dirty one, put on the clean one. Put off, concerning your conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You reprogram your mind. You try to get rid of the old habits and you try to acquire new ones. And that is really, really hard to do. Anybody that has ever tried to break a bad habit knows how hard it is. I forget how many times I quit smoking. I was an expert at it. If you wanted to know how to quit, I could tell you, because I had done it time after time. Until I finally got fussed at enough, I did it right. It was not easy to do. It was hard. In any other habit, they, they'd say... I don't, I don't know how close to right they are, but they say that it takes about 3,000 repetitions for a person to acquire a new habit. So when you think about the, the, the new habits that we as Christians have to acquire, you know, that's an awful lot of work. But we're supposed to do it. Put on the new man. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. That's another hard one to do. Do not let the sin go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Now, is that the kind of person you want to live next to? Is that the kind of person you want to associate with? Well, where are you going to find people like that? Here we're not perfect. We're never going to be perfect. I mean, read 1 and 2 Corinthians. You talk about a congregation of God's people that had problems. I mean, they had problem after problem after problem. But they were still better than the people around them. We're not perfect people. We don't always get along perfectly. But still... If you're gonna have the opportunity to associate with people, who are you gonna associate with? People of the world or Christians who are trying to be like this, who are trying to be renewed in the spirit of their mind. You know, we wanna be like that. We wanna associate with those kind of people. And another thing that we have an opportunity to do when we come together is we have the opportunity to worship a God That loves us there are times when people for some reason tend to think that God is unreasonable that God expects things from us that he just really shouldn't expect you know God really expects me to give up all of my bad habits God expects me to acquire good habits God expects me to to assemble every time the saints come together God expects me to spend time individually studying his word. God expects all of this out of me. That is just so unreasonable. God even expects me to love my enemies. How can he be that unreasonable? But it's not unreasonable. And the reason it's not unreasonable, the reason I can say that is because God did it first. Is it unreasonable to expect someone to do something that you yourself have already done? And the answer is no. If you've already done it, how is it unreasonable to ask others to do it? Over in Romans chapter 5, in verse 6, Paul said, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. We were not lovable people. We were not good people. And Christ died for us anyway. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. John 3.16, every child that's old enough to understand anything has, has memorized that verse. It's not talking about the fact of God's love. It's talking about the level of God's love for God so loved the world that he was willing to give his only begotten son. So how can we say he's being unreasonable? For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. People will occasionally give their life for somebody else, but generally not for a bad person. They will generally try to do it for somebody they like, a family member, a good person. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having, having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. He goes on and talks about the kind of of attitude that we ought to have. We ought to worship a God that loves us that much. You know, I've, I've mentioned a few times of late that I think it's sad that meditation is a lost art and I don't mean meditation in the eastern mystic sense of the word you know that got to be really popular back in the 60s I think you know the Beatles found a guru in India and started practicing meditation and a lot of people thought that'd be a great thing to do and they did but that's not what I'm talking about what I'm talking about is is the ability to sit and think about something to ponder on it and just to think about it over a period of time and in some depth. And one of the things that I think it's extremely valuable to ponder or to meditate on is the world around us. You know, in Romans chapter one, the Apostle Paul talks about the fact that there are things we can know about God from the creation around us. Some things about his eternal power and Godhead. And he says there are enough things that we can learn from from pondering creation that we are without excuse we have no excuse for not believing in god and for and for not doing his will but one of the things that that is interesting to me if you ponder on the creation is is how god constructed everything for us you know uh, people always talk about going to gatlinburg to look at the leaves in the fall I don't understand why. I mean, we've got just as nice ones around here. Go down around Center Hill Dam, drive Highway 70 uh, between Cookville and Monterey. You know, if you have a really colorful fall, that's some of the prettiest scenery you will ever see. Why did God make it that way? You know, why did the leaves turn all those, those beautiful colors? You know, he could have made them so they all just turned brown and fell off, or gray. He didn't do it. Uh, We used to make the trip down uh, to Buffalo Valley on on a regular basis, and I loved uh, taking Hopewell Road down along the creek down through there. Uh, You never knew what you were going to see. Every every time you went, there was something different, different flowers to see, uh, all kinds of things. I told somebody one time, I said, I I realized how patriotic God is, and he said, what are you talking about? And I said, I I saw a red-tailed hawk. A white-tailed deer and a blue heron all on one trip red white and blue you saw all kinds of things sometimes you have to stop and let the turkeys cross the road but the, the world is is such a beautiful place and God made it that way for us to enjoy it he didn't have to but he did You know, when you you contemplate things like that, how much God loves us, the things that God has done for us, why would you not want to be here to worship him? Why would you not want to be here to associate with God's people? Why would you not want to be here to learn more about how we get from earth to heaven, how to be a better person? Why would you not want to be here? You know, it, it, it's sad that so many people are here, I'm not talking about here specifically, but, but in, in various congregations, because they've got the Otter on their back. It's not that I want to be there, I just feel like I ought to be, that I have to be. There was a guy one time, uh, he, was, he was a young uh, preacher, I kinda hope that he's found another line of work by now, because uh, he was not cut out to be a preacher. But he said he was all against tradition. You know, if you do things traditionally, if you just do them as, as, as a habit, you need to stop doing it. Do something else. If you always sit in the same place when you, when you come to the church building, you need to sit somewhere else. Now, I kind of understood what he was talking about because he was talking about, I think, from a perspective of a, a big congregation. We visited at Willow Avenue uh, one time in a... A lady introduced herself to us and she said are are you all just visiting or do you normally sit on the other side of the building you know they have no idea who's there and who's not but at a place like this you do so you know sitting in a different place really doesn't serve any purpose and I told him I said "I I don't think that's a good idea I think tradition serves purpose and he said well like what I said if you sit in the same place every time you're there if you're not there they know it they know you're not there well so and so wasn't there this morning their seat was empty and they get concerned about you you know well they didn't say anything about they were going to be visiting or they were going to be gone on vacation or something I wonder if something's wrong they get concerned and Christians should be concerned we have the best group of people in the world to associate with why would you not want to be here David said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. We ought to be glad to be here because we can, because we get to learn how to get from this earth to heaven. We have an opportunity to worship the God that loves us and we associate with the best people in the world. Why would you not want to be here? It may be that there's somebody here this morning that needs to respond to the Lord's invitation could be that you're here and you're not a christian if that be the case you have the opportunity this morning to come forward confessing your faith in jesus as the son of god so that you can be baptized for the remission of your sins or it may be that you're an erring child of god if that be the case then if your sin is something that nobody else knows about you need to go to god in prayer confess the sin to him from a repentant heart and ask him to forgive you and he's promised to do that if your sin is public in nature, then your repentance needs to be public as well so that you'll not bring shame and reproach upon the church. Or it might be that you're here and just need to come forward and ask for the prayers of those that are gathered here for some other reason. Whatever your need is, we ask that you come forward and make it known while together we stand and sing.